0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Functional Fertility, the podcast designed to demystify your hormones, up-level your lifestyle, and supercharge your fertility potential. I'm your host, Dr. Kalia Waddles, and I'm really excited for today's episode, both because we're talking about a really important topic and because today's guest is very special to me. Let me tell you about Dr. Alexis Gonzalez. She's a naturopathic doctor and certified functional medicine practitioner specializing in endometriosis. We know that endo is a chronic condition involving multiple body systems. So, a functional medicine approach utilizing systems biology is really well suited to address the spectrum of symptoms that women with endo might experience. We're going to unpack that all today. So, with that, welcome to the show, my dear friend, Dr. Gonzalez. Hi. It's so great to finally be here.
1: I'm really excited to just be doing all of these things with you and having this conversation. So,
0: well, we have to start today's episode with a little bit of a story time <laughs> because you and I actually have an origin story in our friendship as co-clinicians that actually involves endometriosis specifically. So, didn't warn you I was going to do this, but I have to share a little bit of a story if it's okay. Of course, So a couple years ago, I was working in an integrated health clinic here in the Seattle area, and Lexi joined the team. Shout out to our friends at Vita Integrated Health. That's where this origin story took place. And so we were working in this primary care clinic, and I was getting ready to depart and head into a new role. And so Lexi started seeing patients with me so that I could introduce them. And the plan was that I was going to transfer care of my patients to her. And Lexi, I think at this point in your career, you were like trying to figure out what you loved and Mm -hmm. what your clinical interest would be. So this was a great opportunity. We knew you loved women's health, but you know, figuring out what that meant for you. So the very first patient that we see together is someone that I will never forget. And I don't even know if you will remember this, but it'll probably come back. We get into the room and this is a new patient. I've never seen this patient before. And you're with me and I'm feeling like I want to do such a good job and show Lexi like how functional medicine, how they can shine. And the patient tells us that she has, I mean, severe endometriosis. She is in debilitating pain. She's losing so much blood. She's heading into her seventh round of IVF and Then she tells us the bleeding is so severe and her quality of life is so affected that she's decided with her care team, if this cycle doesn't work, she's going to have a hysterectomy. And it's like this or nothing, obviously stakes are so high. So we say, say, okay, we definitely want to help you. When when is your frozen embryo transfer? And she said, it's in four weeks. Deep breath, right? Because Four weeks, yeah, we'll we'll work with that. But typically we're having a timeline of three months, six months. And obviously the stakes are incredibly loaded. She's been through so much already. She has her plan on lockdown with her reproductive endocrinologist. So we don't want to mess anything up. Like we don't want to do anything that's going to jeopardize this treatment. And so this toolbox that we normally have at our disposal, that's lifestyle and supplements and botanicals and all these things, we're pretty much feeling comfortable with lifestyle. At this point. Right. (laughs) And I remember she asked us to do some labs. And so we did some lab work and I remember her high sensitivity C reactive protein, which we like to see below one. It's a marker of chronic inflammation. This thing comes back like 12 really severe insulin resistance. So we call in every lifestyle change that we can think of. We had her on a low glycemic, anti-inflammatory diet. I remember she would like work late at night. And so we had her get into bed before 11 o'clock, super dark room, meditation, got her into acupuncture. I mean, all of the things that we felt safe that we could bring on at this point in her journey. And so we waited, the four weeks came, she did her transfer. And I remember I was on vacation with my family and I saw the portal message come through with her name on it. And I was so scared to open it because we were invested at this point. Like we were riding the roller coaster with her. And I was scared because I was on vacation and I just knew that I was going to be affected either way. Right. Yeah. And I remember opening that message and seeing her positive pregnancy test, which she had never had before, and just sobbing on vacation because of everything that she had been through and because of the way that it brought you and I so, you know, so much closer to work through that with her. It just felt so magical and so special. And then when she heard her baby's heart heartbeat and it was a healthy pregnancy, like I, I will never forget that patient. And it's the first patient we saw together. And then you went on to find this love for treating endometriosis. It was meant
1: to be. I remember the room we were in and yeah, I remember watching you and just being like, okay, that is the path. I see it. And you were lighting it so clearly for me and I just always
0: appreciate that from you. So amazingly special. And since then- you have now this personal story with endometriosis that added this layer onto why you feel so passionate and care so much about that. So tell us a little bit, now that I've like told this whole tale of our origin, tell us a little bit about your personal experience with endometriosis and why your clinical practice has made a shift to focus on this almost exclusively. Yeah.
1: You know, it really started with, I had a really intense bout of pelvic pain that, was extremely uncharacteristic. I had never had it before. I had, you know, looking back on it, I think hindsight is 20, twenty I'd always had this really severe period symptoms or something that was related, but like everybody else was just told that that was just part of my cycle and that there's things that you can take to manage cramps versus acne versus bloating versus making it your cycle regular, right? All of those things and went in for an ultrasound um, and they found an endometrioma. And to be quite honest, I didn't even realize how severe it was until I went to go meet with an endosurgeon and had a consultation. And the fact that the surgery consult, which thank goodness for my primary care provider um, who sent out the surgical referral right away, there was a really quick conversation about how quickly that would affect my ovaries I had an insurance that did not cover a surgeon that I wanted to see, that also aligned with my goals of protecting my ovary for future fertility goals. I was in the middle of residency, so I couldn't really take time off to really recover. And I was also making a residency salary. So paying any for anything out of pocket was completely out of the picture. So suddenly I was thrust into this situation where I couldn't get surgery. I was had a new diagnosis and really my only options were hormones. So a very similar situation that patients with endometriosis face. And I essentially tried to find a doctor that could manage a lot of my symptoms. We're very lucky that I think we have a lot of connections in the functional medicine world that could kind of give me tips. And I was able to really manage my condition and have been able to since then. Um, And there's been several factors in my life that have prevented me from getting surgery, such as taking care of my father. And I felt really passionate about giving people options because more often than not, people are faced with the situation of not being able to get surgery or not being able to get surgery from the surgeon that they know will do the best job for the best outcome. And so there became a really apparent gap for functional medicine and team care and a multidisciplinary care team. And Mm so kind of really took that as a really clear sign matched with our experience at Vita as well, that- this was really my calling. And it's been really an amazing path since then, just to really niche and specialize and really say, I actually specialize in endometriosis. It's not just all women's health issues. This is really my sole focus because I really feel like this is, that's what this condition really deserves.
0: Yeah, I have to agree. Endometriosis deserves specialty care. And even I obviously consider myself to be a fertility expert or a fertility specialist. And still when I have patients that have endometriosis, I want to send them to you because there's such specific considerations. And I know we'll talk about this, but you've just learned so much about the timeline of treatment and who's a good candidate for surgery and how you can prepare and what that means for your fertility. And so I do think that this is very much deserving of specialty care And functional medicine, obviously, we have a shared love of functional medicine, but it's really well-suited to support endometriosis, right? Because we know that this is a condition with effects across several organ systems, body systems, and that's what functional medicine is designed to do, is to understand how all of those areas are working together. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more, and we've had multiple conversations
1: about this, about... You know we've I feel very lucky to have a lot of mentors, you included, in that, you know, we've been able to just discuss a lot of cases and really use our functional functional medicine knowledge in a really practical way to actually get people the results that they're trying to get with their health goals. And I think with that case that you presented in the very beginning, it's really about addressing what you can in the moment. And also trying to figure out what has been left out of what people have tried so far. And I think functional medicine really highlights that with all of the tools that we have, right? The timeline, the matrix, um, because we're able to kind of see where those gaps and really where the patterns really arise. And that's why I love functional medicine. Um, As you said, endometriosis is a systemic and a chronic disease, which is pretty much a perfect match for functional medicine because we can really address all of the different nodes and modifiable lifestyle factors that affect the condition. And we can be really strategic about the choices that we're making because we can pick things that are going to affect multiple parts that we're trying to address per patient.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And the case I talked about earlier, obviously highlighted lifestyle medicine behavior change because that's what we had available to us. But in the whole grand scheme of things, there's so many therapeutic options that we have. And I'm really excited to talk to you about that. But I want to focus on the matrix because you mentioned the matrix. I have a great love of the matrix as listeners probably know. And if that term is new to you, in functional medicine, we use a tool that's called the functional medicine matrix that essentially acts acts as a map of your body system. So, you know, looking at things like our gut health, our immune system, inflammation, the way our cells make energy, the way we engage with toxins, every body system you can think of. And endometriosis, as we've said, has touch points in so many systems. And I wanted to get into that a little bit. And of course, I'm going to start with gut health because that's what so many of us love to talk about and hear about. Will you describe to us a little bit um, how endometriosis and the health of our gut might be related?
1: Yeah, you know, I feel like with every part of the matrix, endometriosis really has a bi-directional relationship with my perspective, because really there may be a biochemical process that's happening at that node, Right. Um, that may be impacting other parts that can contribute to endometriosis. An example that I can think of is if your gut microbiome is imbalanced, if you are doing heavy NSAID use and that's impacting your ability to absorb nutrients, if you are on opioids, right, that can also impact your gut health, right? All of these factors that go around managing endometriosis can affect gut health, which then can significantly negatively impact endometriosis, Um, On the flip side, if you have lesions on your bowel or you have lesions that are affecting the motility of your gut that are affecting, you know, your relationship with food, that can also affect your digestive capabilities. And so it's a really, as with anything with endometriosis, it's really tricky because it's kind of this chicken or the egg process, but those would be kind of my main points around digestion. And. I think to hit your point home about digestion is it's really a gateway for all of the other nodes of the matrix is I think a shared perspective that we have. Cause if your gut is, you know, not at its optimal functioning, you're letting things into your body that aren't supposed to be there, which is causing all these processes like inflammatory responses, oxidative stress, food sensitivities, hormonal imbalances, which can be really
0: easily addressed once we really get your gut in a good foundational place. I think this is so important because I've even, I've even you seen, I think you say this explicitly, like if you have been diagnosed with IBS at some point in your life, but you also have heavy bleeding, menstrual cramps, like bad PMS, we should probably investigate if you actually have endometriosis. Yeah.
1: And I think that's, Really, a perspective that we have about healthcare and functional medicine has too is the diagnosis is really a blip in your health journey, right? The IBS diagnosis is really should just be a way for you to get the care that you need and really open up some doors about where we can guide your treatment. Same thing with endometriosis, and it's really interesting because patients with IBS will say, I've tried everything and nothing's really helping. Well, it's probably because you have something going on with endometriosis that's impacting your gut. And these tools that we're using for IBS aren't really addressing what's contributing to your IBS, which may be the endometriosis. So that's why I love what we do because that curiosity that we have really marries well with trying to be intentional about what we recommend to patients. And I think people really appreciate that.
0: Absolutely. And that overlap in symptoms right is why sometimes it takes people 10 15 more years to receive a diagnosis because endometriosis can look like so many other things
1: yeah and i i think this also highlights the less talked about benefit of a multidisciplinary team and really having a thorough care team because even though it's more work on the doctor, those back conversations between your primary care specialist, your surgeon, your specialist, that's really what's going to lead to the greatest outcomes for your health goals. Because I, I think you and I also, we love talking to specialists and telling them this is our plan. What are you thinking? How can we work together towards the same shared goal? And more often than not, specialists are really happy to talk to us because we're able to manage a lot of the things that they simply just don't have the capacity to do in their office, right? Or it's a little bit out of their wheelhouse. And um, the gastroenterologists are a great example of that in regards to endometriosis management.
0: The collaborative care team. The patient really benefits when we work together. So that's a perfect model. Looking kind of around the matrix, we can also touch on, this actually falls into a couple inflammation Um our transport system also, and that's insulin resistance. And I mentioned the patient that we saw together at the beginning of this episode had some pretty severe insulin resistance. And I thought it would be helpful if you would talk our listeners through the mechanism by which insulin resistance can actually make symptoms of endometriosis worse.
1: Yeah. So I think, you know, insulin resistance can be the bottom of the steps that we're thinking of that can contribute to what I suspect would be estrogen dominance or estrogen being the main hormone around that's kind of its main tie to endometriosis. But we also want to think again, with this bi-directional relationship is why is the insulin resistance happening? Yes. Lot, sometimes it's not just happening because of diets that you're consuming. It could be due to toxic load because your body's just naturally inflamed. So your body is going to make that insulin have to work a lot harder, aka release a lot more to get the same effect. Um, the other thing is, you know, the individual lesions of endometriosis also create their own inflammatory markers. So they are contributing inadvertently to this inflammatory environment, which is kind of worsening the cycle because it's also contributing to insulin resistance. And then what we think about is insulin resistance can contribute to things Things like visceral adiposity or increased visceral fat, and also hormone, you know, um, impairments in hormone signaling. And that, those are all really big contributors to endometriosis as well. So I wish I had kind of a more clear cut answer for you, but it is just so multifactorial, which is kind of why I like endometriosis and functional medicine so much, because you're never going to, that's why you can't have a protocol for endometriosis. Yeah. It is so unique and so individualized. And because it's a chronic condition, it's also going to change throughout the seasons of your life. So that's why we have to be really flexible and be aware of all the different ways that endometriosis can be affected with insulin resistance being an important part to address. And I also think really highlights the utility of diet and lifestyle, right? Because we know that insulin resistance is extremely responsive to those particular interventions. So if that is a major risk factor for your progression of endometriosis, that's a really great place to start is diet and lifestyle.
0: Mm-hmm. Very well said. And it I mean, isn't this so powerful that a condition that I think a lot of people, we know know more, we know better, but I think a lot of people just file endometriosis under hormonal, like, oh, this is a hormonal condition, right? But when we look to the root of it, you mentioned inflammation and that there could be a toxicity component and that there's a metabolic component. And so using these tools that, like you said, allow us to remain curious and really get to the root of the root. Now, not only are we helping to improve the endometriosis, But we're also reducing risk for heart disease, diabetes, Alzheimer's disease, osteoporosis, cancer, like all of this chronic disease risk reduction we're doing as we work to reduce the symptom load of the end of the endometriosis. Yeah.
1: And I think what's also interesting, too, is if we think about the mainstay medication treatments for endometriosis, the main goal of it is really to get rid of estrogen in your body or make it so you're not producing as much And when we look at what the primary outcomes are for those medications, it's really pain reduction, but we know that there's a lot of patients with endo that don't really have pain as their main symptom. It can be asymptomatic. It could just manifest as, you know, challenges with fertility. And then how do we align these medications that are used to manage endometriosis that work in completely opposite ways of the goals that we're trying to get with fertility. So it's extremely complicated. And I think, um, there's so much more to it. I feel like we could talk about this. We could do a whole separate talk on each note of the matrix for fertility and
0: endometriosis because there's so Absolutely. much to move Well, maybe I'll ask about one more before we move on, because this has actually come up in listener questions that I've had on the show. Um, We see a lot of patients that have a, a history of an autoimmune disease. Oftentimes it's Hashimoto's thyroiditis, right? Like an autoimmune thyroid disease or some other autoimmune condition, and then later they're diagnosed with endometriosis. And so people ask me all the time, is there a connection here between endo and the autoimmunity? I think research is probably trying to figure this one out. And What's your perspective?
1: Yeah. So, you know, what I've discovered in the research is the only real significant association they found is really with lupus, RA, IBS, um, and MS, but what i would argue is that you know the environment that we're thinking about endometriosis lives in is pro-inflammatory lots of oxidative stress immune immune dysregulation so all of those things are also very friendly environments for autoimmune disorders to come about as well so you know i i think a constant line that we're always walking is okay well whatever we're seeing in the research how much do we let that influence what we're actually doing in the clinic and really, this is where this functional medicine clinical background comes in, because we know all of those environmental factors contribute also to autoimmune disease. And, you know, what I always encourage patients is I actually take that as a sign of hope, because we can kind of do double duty for whatever we're doing for endometriosis, whatever we're doing for endo, if you have an autoimmune condition, we're addressing those environments that encourage that, those types of diseases. So I try to, it's a reframe.
0: Yeah. I think that's really helpful. And it makes sense to me that in the setting of autoimmunity, when there's already this undercurrent of inflammation, that that would be a driver of endometriosis, right? You said it's the environment. So from a biological plausibility perspective makes sense to me. Right. And to go back to
1: gut health, I mean, there's a huge connection
0: between gut health and autoimmune disease.
1: So even if you're just addressing gut health and you have all of these other co-conditions, we're essentially working towards a similar goal, which is to make your body an optimal environment for health, really.
0: Yes. And <laughs> you mentioned earlier that we're going to do that with a collaborative care team. And yes. I think this concept can be somewhat intimidating if you don't know what key players you need, right? Like, oh, I have my primary care doc or my OB and who else do I need and who else can help me? Who, who, Who's on your endometriosis all-star lineup?
1: Yes, I, you know, I'm obviously super biased, but I think you need, I think you need a functional medicine or naturopathic doctor. And I'm a big push for, you know, we used to see the doctor regularly when we were getting our physical checkups at kid as kids, those should really continue through adulthood. And I'm a really big fan of having long-term care with your primary care provider, especially for chronic illnesses, because that saves a lot of the re-explanation, retelling of the story, reestablishing of a therapeutic relationship with your provider, and they will, whether anybody wants to admit it or not, you're going to get invested in people that you've seen long-term, right? Because you know them, you've built relationships with them, and they're going to be able to really build the care team around you. So that I think is a really central player. And really because it takes about seven to 10 years to diagnose endometriosis, those are going to be the people that are going to be there to catch the signs you know, with the right awareness and with the right advocacy for the symptoms that you're experiencing. Um, so that would be my number one. Number two would be the surgeon, right? We have to, if it's indicated, we have to get you connected with the surgeon. And there's a whole run of the mill of people that you can go to, but the more specialized that you can find in the type of endometriosis that you have, right? Meaning that if there is a surgeon that specializes in diaphragmatic endometriosis we should try to get you to go see that surgeon. And really it's because unfortunately, a lot of the management with endometriosis is so heavily dependent on the experience of the surgeon because they have to know where to look. They have to know how to properly excise the lesion. They have to know how to properly preserve any organs for fertility, if that's part of your goal as well. And they also have to have some experience um, in regards to what the recovery rates are on the back end, And so it's a process, right? It can take months. And we've seen this for months for patients to get surgery with endometriosis. Um, And so I think that's something that you should start sooner than later. So those would be the first two. Once you get those to establish, that's I think when you can bring in your pelvic floor physical therapist, your acupuncturist, your registered dietitian, you know, at some point you'll probably need a really experienced radiologist, depending on where that falls in your care team as well. I'm a huge proponent of mental health whoever that may be in regards to the level of care that you need. And then fertility specialists, you know, there's specialists among specialists in the fertility field. And so we have a lot of experience about reproductive endocrinology um, and working with them and, you know, immunologists as well. If we think that there's a really, really tricky case that is a little bit out of even our wheelhouses and then going back to what you said initially, because endo can manifest anywhere in the body, we have to know specialists of all kinds, right? Gastro, neurologists, hepatologists, pulmonologists, cardiologists, because I've had patients, you know, present with coughing up blood during their cycle. I We have to send that person to a pulmonologist because we have to roll out other things um And same thing with cardiology, if you have cyclical chest pain. And so the care team can get very large, but again, that's why I started with your primary care provider, because they're really going to be that person that's going to be alongside you synergizing all of those treatment plans and making sure that you have a really concise and intentional treatment plan moving forward.
0: Wow. I mean, there's so many things I could touch on in there, but I think Maybe someone is listening to this and they maybe didn't realize that you could have endometriomas on all of these different organs and all of these different places of your body. I mean, it can be actually shocking where endometriosis can show up. So having this care team, having these players, and I think what is the ideal scenario is that you have all these team members and they're talking to each other, which that can be the other piece of having that um, primary care doc who can connect the pieces is invaluable. Yes. Oh my gosh.
1: I can, I think one of, I think one of the things that I learned from you as well is because we, you've worked so closely with fertility clinics is having that conversation consistently through a patient's care and then hearing the patient come to us saying, I'm so glad. Thank you for calling my doctor and letting them know before I came in, because then they were already aware of what we were doing. I'm, I'm shocked that it doesn't happen more often, even though I know that there's time constraints and obviously we're all super busy people, but wow, it makes a world of difference. And I wish that, you know, I would have had that type of care earlier in my life as well. Cause I think it would have expedited things
0: a little bit more quickly. Mm-hmm. Right. And we've talked about this before that I think sometimes when you're in, you know, if you're in a visit and you have news that is maybe a little bit shocking or surprising or just overwhelming, it's hard to absorb the choices that you're offered or the treatment pathways that are available to you when you're in the moment. So having those practitioners who can cover that information can help you make informed decisions, I think is so empowering. And I want to talk a little bit about the surgery path, because like you said, a lot of patients with endo, they want to preserve their fertility and they know that they need to have treatment because their symptoms are severe, but ultimately their goal is to have children. So will you talk us through a little bit of a timeline? Because questions come through sometimes about, do I do my excision surgery before or after I want to do something like egg freezing? or I want to go through IVF. So tell us your perspective on that time.
1: Yeah. You know, it's, it really depends, right? It depends a lot on timeline it depends on the severity of your disease. It depends on, um, the type of endometriosis you have. So just to kind of start off really simply and kind of give some simple takeaways, you know, the general rule of thumb that I have is we have to figure out what your goals are. If you're trying to get pregnant really quickly, then that's going to change a lot of things, right? We might, might not do surgery right away if pregnancy is a little, is the priority at this point. Um, in regards to egg freezing in particular, that's a really tricky one, right? So in regards to endometriosis outside of the, um, ovaries, I think egg freezing, as long as we are doing, you know, the typical support for ovarian health that we would do in preparation for anyone doing egg freezing, that is a really great, great place to start. But according to the research, surgery and removing endometriosis can re, endometriomas can really significantly affect the environment of the eggs that would be prepared for egg freezing. Now, what's interesting is it doesn't necessarily affect live birth rates, of the people that end up calling those eggs and um, giving birth later on and years down the line. However, you know, you think about how many eggs you get per egg freezing cycle, even if you were to have, let's say, a cystectomy, have your egg freezing cycle, you get however many eggs, what is the environment of the remaining eggs, right, in the ovary that has been surgically excised. And there's a lot of differentiating factors. I'd say the biggest thing that I always want patients to be aware of, right, because you have access to your imaging records. If you see an endometrioma that's larger than about three to four centimeters, that is something that requires a little bit of a more expedited referral to surgery because the size really does matter. You're starting to cut off nutrients. As you know, we talk all the time about blood supply to the ovaries. And when you have something that's kind of, you can think of it like a balloon when you have that cyst in there, that's taking up a lot of space and causing things to constrict and not get as good as much as blood flow. That's going to really impact the health of the ovaries. And that's happening on a daily basis. Right. Um, the other thing that I like to say is, you know, if you're going to do a laparoscopy, go ahead and try to do the operative versus just the diagnostic. If they're going to go in and take a look, you might as well get a surgeon that's going to be able to remove those lesions. Because even though it's termed a minimally invasive surgery, that does not mean minimal risk. It just means that the lesion that they put the tools in is pretty small, but there's still doing an exploration mission in your abdomen, to put it quite frankly, they're lifting up organs. They're looking behind tissues as they should to find lesions and they're removing tissue. So that would be my other recommendation. And then I'm a big fan of excision versus ablation. I think if you have the tissue there, let's get it out instead of, you know, having a chance of leaving some tissue there. Um, And then something that I always counsel patients on is recurrence is really high with endometriosis, which is due to a lot of factors. One of the main ones being that we may not just, the surgeon just may not find every lesion that's in your body during that one surgery, which is not always the fault of the surgeon because they're really tough to find. If you look at any of the videos on surgery for endometriosis, you can tell that it requires a lot of specialty. Um, And so that's always something to educate women on, on their fertility journey, because the recurrence may impact how motivated they are to get surgery. And then the other thing is if you're really in pain and it's really affecting your daily life, I don't know a single woman that's going to want to try to conceive in that environment. So if that's the case, Then we prioritize your well-being and we prioritize getting you feeling better so you can even be in the right emotional state to be aroused to try to conceive, right? And so those are all the conversation topics that I like to have with patients around surgery and fertility. Um, And there's a million more, but it's really patient specific. But those would be the big highlights that I would say.
0: This is exactly why someone needs an endo specialist to walk them through everything that you just said. because even just as a primary care doc i don't know these stats i don't know all of these expert pro tips this is why you need someone on your care team who's an advocate who's knowledgeable who has a specialty in endometriosis yeah i know i
1: i completely agree and i also want to just do a plug because we are also healthcare practitioners i i'm totally am have had experience personally and professionally with medical gaslighting but I also want to do a plug that doctors are humans too, right? We are working within a really tight system with really short patient visit times with, you know, lots of people on our schedule, which is no excuse to not get the care that you deserve. But I think this is just a really great opportunity for your primary care provider and patient advocacy, because I always tell patients schedule another follow-up visit with that specialist because we have questions and if they need separate time to answer those questions, then let's schedule that time to ask those questions because really that is part of the due diligence as the doctors, you should be discussing a risk benefit, you know, or are having a discussion about risk benefits about anything that you're recommending supplements, diet, medication,
0: definitely surgery, definitely surgery, yeah. <laughs> you know, surgery. Well, you mentioned one reason why someone might pursue surgery or might expedite their timeline of pursuing surgery is because they're in so much pain. Yeah. And so I'm hoping you'll share with us some of your favorite strategies. I know you have some go-tos that have been really effective in your patients. What are some things you're bringing on when you need to treat pain?
1: Yeah, it's so... It depends as with, I feel like I'm going to say that a million times because I can think of, you know, the patients that I've seen and it's different every single time that I've done some type of protocol. But I always think about why is the pain happening, right? Typically, it's usually due to lots of inflammation going on in the body. That's then making your nervous system really hyperactive or really sensitive to any type of stimuli, little movements you know, obviously things are going to expand in your digestive system. So it makes it really sensitive. So a lot of the things that I do are anti-inflammatory. So I think omega-3s and really getting that good balance of omega-3s is really important, particularly higher in EPA. But again, if there's a nervous system component, then we want to maybe explore different ratios. I'm a huge, huge fan of pelvic floor physical therapy and acupuncture. And I know you feel the same way. Like we have sent so many patients to acupuncture and pelvic floor physical therapy, and it makes a difference. And I wouldn't say that unless we had seen it so consistently with everybody that we've sent there. Um, And what I love about those modalities is one, it just helps you. I feel like people walk away feeling more in tune with their bodies And they learn a different way to approach this particular disease where there is something that they can do about it, particularly with pelvic floor. And what I also love about pelvic floor is there's these little muscles in your pelvic floor that respond so quickly to therapy. I'm talking like after the first session for a lot of my patients which is why I love it so much when you find a really good pelvic floor physical therapist. So, and you think about all the times that you're really affecting your pelvic floor, you're crossing your legs, you're sucking in your stomach, you're, you know, sticking, arching your back and you're slunched over at your desk. So there's so many things that you can do after going to physical therapy, especially for the pelvic floor that I love so much for pain. Um, Castor oil too, is one of my favorites. It's a fan favorite of mine. Um, except for the fact that it's so messy, but
0: we have solutions for that. We have solutions. (laughs) Well, those are some great pro tips. And I think the inflammation piece is also like, even if you weren't able to call upon all of those powerful supplements, which we have so many targeted therapies that are so helpful, but like we talked about earlier, we had a patient who wasn't really able to take supplements. And so we did the, you know, the anti-inflammatory diet and people don't realize, I think that stress is inflammatory and not sleeping is inflammatory. So all of those things combined, and you've actually got a pretty powerful treatment plan. Yeah, I
1: agree. And I think too, what I love about the functional medicine matrix is that center of the mental, emotional, spiritual, and You and I have seen this time and time again. People making really drastic changes with their triggers for stress has really been a gateway to people getting pregnant, to people really being pain free. Um, And so I'd always, always address that too. I feel like that's really important too. And, you know, pain is, it's, it's relentless with endometriosis and it's extremely isolating. It comes out of nowhere. So it's also unpredictable. Um, and it can just make you really desperate, right? Cause you just so desperately want to just feel what it's like to just be normal and not be in pain. Um, and so I think having tools that are available to you where you don't have to rely on a supplement, if it catches you somewhere where you don't have access to any of your tools, you have those mental, emotional, spiritual things that you can call upon anywhere at any time.
0: Yeah. And I know you and I have shared so many patients that maybe they've been through multiple rounds of fertility treatment, or maybe they've been told because of their endometriosis or because of their PCOS or because of any number of things, you won't get pregnant. And now there's this belief system and these like these this whole story that now we have internalized about we're not going to get pregnant and it's not meant for us. And it takes A while to unpack that. And I guess my point is just to say that we can't forget about that mental, emotional, spiritual consideration, because yes, we're going to treat those physical symptoms, but then there's this whole level of grief and pain and exhaustion and sadness that we also need to address.
1: Yeah. And I think also people are surprised too, when they come and see us and it's not an immediate fix, right? Because I think we've also been conditioned to say, okay, I'm here. Like, what do you have for me to fix this right away? And the way that we are able to communicate with patients that this is still gonna be a lot of work and I still need time for to essentially rebuild a lot of these things that have broken down over years of time, right? And that is, I feel like always, we I feel you and I are always really good about leaving a lot of space for that conversation because it's, it, it's warranted to give people the space to really accept that and face that,
0: that it's gonna take some time. And it's hard. Those are hard conversations, especially for patients who want to conceive last week. Yeah. It's
1: hard. Yeah. And they've invested a lot of time and they're on a tight deadline and there's the stress, right. Of all the expectations that are set of them investing so much in their health. Um, and right. Both of these are invisible conditions that people don't necessarily see that they're experiencing. And so you and I are sometimes the only people that they're able to talk that freely with. And, um, yeah, it's really important to address.
0: Well, I'm sure that there are listeners who are right now thinking like maybe they suspect that they have endometriosis and they're not exactly sure what to do next or what the next step is. Maybe they've never talked to anyone about this before. Before we close out today, will you will you speak to those listeners and let them know what phone call they should make tomorrow, who they should go, who they should talk to? Yeah.
1: I, I, if you don't have a primary care provider or functional medicine provider, I would find one ASAP. Um, Obviously you're in Washington and I'm in California and I would start tracking your symptoms. And I say that kind of with a, you know, a a caveat, because I know that endo patients are so diligent and patients who are experiencing fertility challenge. They're some of the most diligent patients I've ever met.
0: Highly motivated. Yes.
1: Extremely motivated, extremely meticulous. And we love all of that information. So I say that mainly for people that are new and maybe exactly what you're talking about, not sure where they're at in regards to their diagnosis. And really this pattern of when symptoms are happening. And I think even something as simple as how often are you taking pain medication throughout the month to manage symptoms that are directly related possibly to your menstrual cycle? That's a really important one because people, when I ask them that question, oftentimes won't even realize how much they're taking until I ask them, well, how often are you taking it? And some people will say, I'm taking about six ibuprofen per week. I'm like, that's consistent use of a pain reducing medication. Um, And then next thing is, if your doctor is not listening to you, let's find somebody else. It's not worth it for you to continue advocating for yourself in an environment where you're not really going to get where you need to go. And there's a lot of doctors out there. And there's a lot of primary care providers that are covered by insurance. And so that would be a big plug for me as well. And if you're going to switch doctors, please ask for your chart records, especially if you're moving state to state. I feel like that is huge, like imaging reports, recent lab work, because that's going to be really important. And that way we can kind of avoid a lot of repeat testing and you can come ready to your next provider meeting with some information that's already been laid out by another provider. Um, And then one thing that I'll say to close out is I think asking for help is a really important message to send to a lot of patients with chronic illness, but particularly with endometriosis. And something that I heard years back when I was starting at Bastier is you don't lose any of your power by asking for help. And I think that's a really important message to get really comfortable with along this journey because it does require a lot of help. And so when you ask, we the goal is to try to find you people that has ans- have answers for you or that will be able to guide you to the right people to help you.
0: That's such a beautiful way to end today's episode and to all of our listeners, I just wanted to thank you so much for spending your time with us and I know that you come to hear about these topics because you're looking for answers and you're looking for solutions. So I feel so honored that our listeners choose to find that here. So thank you so much to our listeners, to our show's incredible producer, Paola Martini. Thank you for all, of, all that you do. And Lexi, Dr. Gonzalez, thank you so much for sharing all of these insights. I've been waiting for this moment and I just feel so special to have you on the show. And I know that you'll help so many with this message. Let our listeners know where they can find you
1: you can find me on Instagram. It's Dr. Alexis Gonzalez. My website is super easy too. It's just my name, Dr. Alexis Gonzalez.com. And I just wanted to thank you too. Um, you have been just literally the biggest light on my journey in healthcare and I'm constantly inspired by you. And yeah, I just feel really grateful to be on this podcast with you. It's been a long time. I feel like we've been talking
0: about it for a month. So I'm so happy that it's coming to fruition. We have the dream team. Thank you so much. <laughs> Enjoy this episode, everyone. We'll see you next time. Did you love this episode and want to hear more? Head over to drkaleawaddles.com slash podcast, where you can find more episodes on all things fertility.